Greek Myths and Legends The Seeds of War The elopement of Paris and Helen sent waves of shock through the land. Menelaus, his trusting soul rent by sadness, gathered together those men who had pledged an oath to aid him in times of trouble. He called upon all the great rulers from other lands, men who would take up their arms to recover his beloved wife and to punish the violator of his home. He and his brother Agamemnon were the greatest and most powerful lords of the Peloponnese, and together they summoned the finest leaders of the land to bring their ships and their most courageous warriors for war against Troy. And ever respectful of these two great men, all but two answered the call and set out for Troy. One of these men was Odysseus, a crafty and highly regarded leader of the small island of Ithaca. Odysseus had recently married his great love Penelope, who had given birth to their son Telemachus. He had found great happiness with his family and was loath to quit it for a war which had been predicted as long and painful. An oracle had confirmed to him that he risked 20 years of separation from his home and his wife if he traveled to Troy, and he was not inclined to respond to the summons. Instead, he feigned madness, and when he was visited in person by Menelaus and Palamedes, he put on a rustic cap, and plowed salt into the furrows of his rocky land, with an oxen and ass yoked together. But Palamedes was not fooled by this show, and he laid down the infant Telemachus in the path of the plow at which Odysseus was forced to admit his deceit, pull up the team, and rescue his son from certain danger. And so it was that Odysseus traveled reluctantly to Troy, where the oracle proved true but where he made his name as the most distinguished warrior of all time. Achilles was also summoned, but had defied the call on the advice of his mother, Thetis, who had dressed him in the garb of a maiden and hidden him among the daughters of the king of Scyrus. He was the son of Peleus, a mortal who had married the goddess Thetis. Achilles was the youngest of many children born to Thetis, but all had died as she attempted to immortalize them by holding them over a fire. When Achilles was born, she wished once more to make him immortal, but cleverly ignored the murderous flames which promised such status and hung him instead over the waters of the river Styx, making him invulnerable by dipping him into the waters. The heel by which she held him remained the one vulnerable part of his body and he was brought up with other heroes by Cherion, who fed him on the hearts of lions and the marrow of bears. He was a popular boy, endowed with great prowess and skill in war. His mother knew that the Trojan War would lead to his certain death, and it was she who hatched the plan to hide him from Menelaus and his men. But it was crafty Odysseus who found him and revealed him by disguising himself as a purveyor of fine fabrics and jewelry which provided great excitement to the other young women, but which failed to interest the young hero. When cunning Odysseus laid out a dagger and shield, they were leapt upon by Achilles, who disclosed himself and came readily with Odysseus. 
When King Priam heard news of Paris' activities at Sparta, he sank back in disbelief. Odysseus had journeyed to Troy with Palamedes and Menelaus to demand that Priam return Helen. But Paris had not yet returned to the island, and Priam was loath to judge a man before he'd had his say. He responded with courtesy to the requests of these great men who had appeared on his shores with such an urgent mission. But he put them off, and when Paris did finally appear with Helen, King Priam and his sons were so besotted by her, so taken by her beauty that they forgave Paris all his weakness and swore that Helen should remain in Troy forever. Helen confirmed that she had eloped of her own free will and that her love for Paris was greater than any known to man or God before them. However, the people of Troy were less kindly disposed to their new mistress, for with her she brought the threat of war, which would draw into action its many men and rob them of their freedom and good name. And when Paris stalked the streets of Troy, his new bride on his arm, he was followed by muttered curses. The men of Troy gathered together their troops, led by the great Hector and Priam's son-in-law, Aeneas, prince of the Dardanians and son of Aphrodite herself. Many years had passed since Menelaus had put out that first call for assistance, but the impressive collection of warriors group at Aulis, a harbor on the Ruipus, they prepared to set forth for Troy. Their sails were met by calm that disallowed them even a breath of wind to set them on their course. And so it transpired that Artemis was behind the deathly stillness, for Agamemnon had unwittingly hurt her pride by slaying one of her sacred hind, and she now demanded the death of Agamemnon's own daughter, Iphigenia, in return. Agamemnon was torn by the command and refused to consider it, while the men of Greece became surly and impatient to begin a war which threatened to be long and hard. So the great lord listened to his men and encouraged by his brother Menelaus, he called his wife to bring Iphigenia to the site, where he promised her Achilles as a husband, and for that reason alone Iphigenia was brought to the ships. And when she greeted her father with excitement and love, he cast her aside, daring not to meet her glances. Seeing his unhappiness, Menelaus swallowed his own sadness and forbade his brother to kill the young girl. But this sympathy and pity hardened the heart of Agamemnon, and he prepared for the sacrifice. Clytemnestra was Agamemnon's wife, and she grew suspicious when she saw him shirk the embraces of his favorite daughter. She took herself to the tent of Achilles, who professed no knowledge of an impending wedding, and finally admitted the real purpose of Iphigenia's visit to the camp. In a fiery rage and distress, Clytemnestra flew back to her husband and found her daughter begging for mercy at his feet. And then, as Agamemnon struggled again to make a decision that would calm his angry men, console his desperate wife, Iphigenia drew herself up and, wiping away her tears, proclaimed, Since so it must be, I am willing to die. Then shall I be called the honor of Greek maidenhood, who have given my life for the motherland. Let the fall of Troy be my marriage feast and my monument. And the brave young woman cast herself down on the sacrificial table at the altar of Artemis, gazing heavenward as her peaceful expression filled her family with woe anew. 
The seer, Calchas, unsheathed the knife, having been given this painful duty, but as he lifted his arm to strike a blow, Iphigenia vanished, taken by Artemis herself, who had pitied the lovely maiden, and borne her away to become a priestess of her temple at Taurus, to live in eternal maidenhood. In her place on the table lay a snow-white fawn, sprinkled with virgin blood and with a great roar of gladness, Calchas proclaimed Artemis to be appeased. His words were carried away on the whisper of wind that grew until it became a mighty gale, pulling at the idle ships and filling her crew with anticipation and joy. The winds carried them to Lesbos and then on to the island of Tenedos, from where the distant walls of Troy could be seen glowing in the light of dawn. The war would begin. 